Welcome to Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community. Hey everyone, I'm your host, Robbie Skruzinski, and thanks so much for joining us on episode number nine of Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town. On this episode, we're going to be joined by the voice of poker stars, James Hardigan. We're all familiar with James's work broadcasting the European Poker Tour, doing the Poker in the Ears podcast, live stream commentating, giving us great poker entertainment alongside his stalwart co-commentator, Joe Stapleton, and so much more. Now, it's time for us to get to know James a little bit better. James, welcome to Cards Chat. I'm really happy to be speaking with you. Robbie, we seem to have this conversation once every six months, right? We seem to catch up on one platform or another and have this chat. Always a pleasure. Always enjoy speaking to you. Well, thank you so much. The feeling is certainly mutual, and I'm uh, glad to have another opportunity to speak with you again. Um, well, James, you know, of course, you're a fixture with uh, the Red State, with Poker Stars for so long that some people may actually think you're a physical part of the ET <laughs> set. So for those who don't know, and possibly, I think including myself, how did you actually first begin working with the company? Well, first of all, it does look like I'm trapped inside the PokerStars arena. Right. Right? I'm kind of like still in my kind of broadcast world right now because, of course, my broadcast world has become my home or rather my home has become my broadcast world. Sure. Um, yeah, I realized the other day that it's 15 years now since wow. I started working uh, with PokerStars. And as with most things in life, it was never planned. It happened by accident. My background is in broadcasting, in radio. Uh, in news, in music and speech radio. And I was working for a London radio station called LBC in the mid 2000s. And this of course was at the height of the boom. And so I was trying to find every opportunity to get poker onto the radio so that I could blag free stuff, okay? So there you go, confession time. I did it for my own good. But at the same time, I think the radio station liked it because poker was very trendy. It was very in vogue. It was in loads of TV shows. It was in loads of movies. We knew that it was like a, a thing. And for as long as we were riding that wave, I was going to exploit it. And uh, a, a PR agency that was working for poker stars was doing the kind of mass mail out to broadcasters and journalists saying, you know, uh, poker stars has just launched this poker tour called the European Poker Tour. Right. And we're giving the opportunity for journalists to come to an EPT stop, play an EPT, and as long as you talk about it or write about it on your respective platform, um, we'll cover everything. We'll pay for your cost to go to the destination, and we'll pay for you to play this game. So I'm like, boom, here we go. That's so of course, <laughs> do, do the kind of pitch on the, uh, on the news editor and managing editor of the radio station, and they're more or less on board with it because, again, in commercial radio, anytime it's not costing them money to do anything, if you say, hey, I'm going to do a story, we're going to get like a half hour feature out of this, how much is it going to cost us? Nothing. They're fine. No. Um, <laughs> so it worked, it worked for everyone, right? So uh, Deauville in February of 2005 was the event that I went to. And while I was there, got to meet a lot of people from PokerStars, including um, co-founder Mark Scheinberg, and many of the people who were running the marketing team at that time. And we had a lot of good conversations, a lot of good dinners while I was out there. And they had said, you know, as someone in the media, have you thought about doing poker journalism? Right. And it's interesting, at the same time that I was getting involved uh, on the EPT, Howard Swains, who sure. was writing, I can't remember whether Howard was writing for The Independent or The Times at that, at that moment, but... He had taken up this offer as well. And of course, they were tapping up Howard to be a freelance journalist as well. But Howard is a writer and a very good writer at that. Um, I've never worked in print. I've never written a blog. Uh, it, it's not, I'm not saying I can't write, but it's not necessarily my area of expertise. I've always been a broadcaster. I've always been a radio presenter or newsreader. So when I said, you know, what, do you know what I'd really love to do? I'd love to do poker commentary. And clearly some seed was planted because a few months later, when they decided that they were looking for fresh blood to do the World Cup of Poker in May of that year for the Poker Channel, which was, here's the weird thing. In 2005, the UK had not one but two 24-7 Poker Channels, right? Wow. Um, on satellite and cable. Those were and the days. <laughs> I know. And the poker, the poker Channel was one of them. So I got in touch with them. PokerStars got in touch with me. Everything kind of collided. I did an audition. And... The reality is that, of course, 
filling the expert role was not that difficult at the time. Stars had enough pros on its roster. I mean, even though this is kind of pre-big names like Negreanu, they already had Greg Raymer on the books, and Greg was someone who they very much had lined up to do the World Cup of Poker. But it was just having that person who is, I'll go so far as to say, a competent broadcaster who knows how to get in and out of junctions, who knows how to deal with ad breaks, who can cope with a voice in his head counting down from 10 to 1. That's something that poker players aren't really prepared for. And back then, you needed to know very little. It was basically say what you see. And as long as you knew the ranking of hands, you were fine. And even though I do think the play-by-play role is still to a certain degree, say what you see. I think it has evolved over time. And if I look back and see how little I knew in 2005, you could question whether I had any right doing that job. Um, but the great thing is having worked with so many great co-commentators over the years, you know, you can't help but learn something from sure. osmosis, from either Absolutely. working on poker TV shows, from watching poker TV shows, hosting live streams, watching content. You just, you know, Get, gain that knowledge and I'm not saying for one second I'm an expert but I like to think I know enough now to guide a poker broadcast and to ask the right questions of the pros and the tired cliche that I always use is I build the stage for them to perform on that's the way I look at it whether that's a stage for an expert to do their analysis or a stage for our resident court jester Mr. Stapleton to do his shtick Indeed. And here we are 15 years later, obviously, uh, you are a staple, not to, to play on words there with Mr. Staples' name, but uh, <laughs> obviously you've learned quite a bit in a decade and a half. Um, your official title, your role with the company is Senior Editorial Manager of the Production Unit. So besides all yeah. of that on-camera and on-mic work that you know, we all know about, we all see, we all hear, what other sorts of work do you do behind the scenes that we may not be aware of? That comes, I guess, from the kind of person that I am. And my kind of previous career in broadcasting was kind of 50-50 divided between management, uh, where I was like a, a, a senior journalist co-running a newsroom, whether I was the editor of an entertainment news service, which was doing syndicated entertainment news for a number of broadcasters, uh, helping to run the, the network chart show. And the other half was basically being what is crudely referred to in the industry as the talent, which is basically the front of camera or on the mic. And generally, I found that the, you know, if you're able to get away with it, if you're able to, to be the talent, you get paid a hell of a lot more money for a lot less work. So that <laughs> decided to be the avenue I went down. But being the kind of strange personality type that I am, which I guess on a basic level you could describe as control freak, I could never let go of wanting to be involved in the actual running order of a show, be involved in the actual production process. You know, there's, a, again, another industry cliche. A lot of presenters will just show and go. They rock up, they get given their notes, they switch on when the red light comes on, they do their shtick, get paid a fortune, and then are gone the moment that it's off air. And I'm not criticizing that approach, but that's one way of doing it. The other way of doing it, which I guess in, in the news environment, uh, whether that's radio news or TV news, the presenters are obviously a lot more involved in the, in the program, a lot more involved in deciding what the content's going to be, going over the running order, rewriting the script, because ultimately you're the one who's going to say it. So I've always been involved, always taken that view. And it just seemed like a kind of natural step to take. So this would have been about 2014. So I've been freelancing for stars at this point for nine years, but I was also working elsewhere. And the irony is Sky Poker, of course, is now all part of the same family. But yeah. back then it wasn't. It was effectively a rival. And even though it was a relatively small site, which was primarily focused on the UK market, so it didn't really bother stars. It's not like I was working for full tilt in like right. 2008, 2009, that would have been a problem. Um, but you know, there was this kind of feeling that, well, this guy's doing all of our EPT streams. He's doing all of our TV shows. You know, we're meant to be the market leader. We shouldn't really be having to share him right. with you know, everyone else. And because we were doing so much back then, I think you know, there, was, there was a show on Channel 4 in the UK every single week, which simple math tells you we're doing 52 TV shows a year. 
we're doing live streams from every event. And those live streams started getting longer. You know, initially it was just the last two days of an EPT. Then it became all seven days of an EPT. So the amount I'm traveling, the amount I'm on the road, the amount I'm working was just adding up. And, you know, clearly someone realized we could just pay this guy a full-time salary, get him to do all the stuff he's already doing. Plus, you know, actually get him formally working behind the scenes. And initially it was very much just working on those TV shows, the live streams, driving the editorial, coming up with new ideas. You know, back in the mid uh, kind of 2014, 2015, we ran a TV show called Shark Cage. And I was very heavily involved in in driving that forward and refining the format and putting together the lineups. Um, But, and then of course, the, the role has evolved over time to be, you know, again, guiding the editorial of a lot of the co- of a lot of the content we do being a kind of uh, consultant an expert on kind of poker broadcasting and poker content and just i guess dipping my toe into many waters sometimes i think they'd rather i stayed out of their water but again <laughs> I, I i i can't i can't help myself so uh so yeah but they, I, I i keep myself busy robbie that's good is there something that you could perhaps point to as the most enjoyable uh, aspect of your job, and also by contrast, perhaps something the most challenging uh, of your role. Yeah, I mean, the most enjoyable aspect is always going to be doing a live broadcast. Mm. And as much as obviously, I love the fact that we still have poker on TV, the PSPC TV shows aired in the UK and in Canada uh, during 2020. Um, And I'm sure we'll be airing in other markets around the world soon nothing beats actually doing it for real live in the moment no second take um there's a buzz you get from that and i think again that comes from my radio roots that you just can't replicate elsewhere so that is definitely the most enjoyable part whether it's doing a live stream at a live event whether it's uh doing the epc retro streams that we started doing this year whether it's doing the the scoop final table replays or whether it's been doing our cards up coverage of online series which is a new innovation this year which I guess is the perfect segue into your question about the challenge. You know, obviously that was something which we'd never done before. Mm-hmm. And it was a challenge to make it work because, you know, how was it going to, how could we bring to life the idea of, 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 of cards up online poker, which, you know, taking nothing away from it does not have the same dynamic quality as actually real human beings playing poker. So what can we do? And, you know, all of the ideas that, uh, that we had of, of, of creating that virtual space, actually creating the poker stars arena and saying, this is the virtual venue where all of these events will be hosted. So we have our location at the same way, uh, that we'd open a stream from EPT Barcelona, you'd have that view of Port Olympic. You'd have that shot right. of the huge tower of the Arts Hotel. Well, that's because it's the venue, right? Casino Barcelona is the venue for that poker tournament. Well, now we show you that glorious stadium, both inside and out. It's our kind of like, you know, make-believe world, if you like, where right. we can bring this to life, where we are working, where the players uh, are taking place, uh, all, all the tables that you see in there. And again, it's just to kind of, to bring the entertainment factor, because that's really ultimately what we want to do here with everything that we do, uh-huh. is we want to entertain. And I think with both our live streams from EPTs and from the live streams we've done from Stadium Series and WCOOP, I think there's been an, a very heavy focus on education as well, with uh-huh. informative expert commentary from some outstanding commentators who we were lucky enough to stumble upon and recruit. But what's great about all of those guys is that they also get that we're trying to just provide a little bit of light relief uh-huh. and that the, the primary objective should be entertainment because, right. you know, ultimately, what would I want to watch? I love poker and I love listening to someone like Sam Grafton, Griffin Benji or Maria Ho break down a hand. But equally, there comes a point where I'm like, okay, now it's getting a little bit too mathematical. Now it's getting a little bit too dense. Sure. Uh, you know, I just, I just want to have fun. I just want to be entertained. Right. And I know there are always going to be people who would prefer that a poker live stream was like a kind of, you know, poker training site video, that it's just pure, let's break down a hand for 20 minutes. Let's talk about stack sizes position. Sure. And, you know, I, I, unfortunately, I don't believe 
that the majority of people want to watch that. I think there is a market for it. Don't get yeah. me wrong. People want that content. But in terms of what we do in trying to shine a spotlight on these incredible series that run on PokerStars every single year, I want as many eyeballs as possible on this. I want to entertain as many people as possible. And I think we've found the right way of doing it. But of course, it was a challenge, not least because, as we said at the time, no two people were in the same room. Right. You're running a completely <laughs> virtual broadcast yep. normally you know even if your commentators weren't on location you would normally actually have a physical gallery right mm -hmm. where you'd have your director you'd have you know your graphics operator you'd have uh, the sound guy they'd yeah. all be kind of working in the same environment and that makes communication a lot easier sure in some cases they weren't even in the same country but everyone is effectively connected to a cloud-based distribution point a cloud-based mm -hmm. production point where it's all coming together and right up to the 11th hour, we're thinking, is this actually going to work? Because wow. trust me, during rehearsal, it didn't. But then you find the flow, you find the way of making it working, you find a way of communicating with each other, and you realize some of the technology out there is absolutely incredible. And I'm pleased to say that we did find a way of making it work. I'm very proud of those broadcasts that we put out this year. That's fantastic. See, I, did, I didn't know what you would be responding to the challenges portion of that question, but it actually did anticipate something else I was going to ask you about that hands-up sure. coverage. And that's, you know, it's like interesting to hear it. And uh, that's good. We're of the, of the same mind thing, but the same thing. But uh, no, I'm sure like, you know, a lot of people uh, in the Cards Chat forum, a lot of forum members, community members uh, have tuned in to the ha hands-up coverage uh, of, uh, of the W Coop, of the Stadium Series. So it's uh, certainly interesting to hear the inner workings uh, of that. Of course. And as you pointed to, it's obviously different uh, than anything else you guys uh, had done before. Um, and, and obviously, you know, the, the, the elephant in the virtual room, so to speak, yeah. is obviously, you know, we're doing this by Zoom. Everyone's talking, you know, Zoom. Yeah, it's yeah. a pandemic. We know that the regular day-to-day -day routine is different. To what degree, though, you know, you say this has become your office, this has become your world. How is it different than, you know, the before times as far as what you do, uh, you know, hour to hour, I suppose, yeah, each day? Well, it's, it's interesting. The first thing I should say, by the way, is that I'm not saying for one second that I should take all the credit for these live streams. I want to make mm. it clear that in addition to all of the commentators who worked on that, the production team has been outstanding. Sure. And these are the same people who put together our live streams from actual live poker tournaments and just everything. Everyone rose to the challenge and, and, and delivered on that. Um, you know, when, when, of course, everything changed back in the spring. You know, we very quickly realized that, you know, okay, so there, there aren't going to be any live poker events in the foreseeable future. And that's when we very quickly put EPT Retro together, right? Mm -hmm. And right. that was something which we had talked for a long time about going back over some of the old hands from like EPT shows from seasons one and two. Some, because you know, those, those TV shows, I imagine there's a lot of people getting into poker now who never saw those, sure. who never were aware of that content. And Ironically, it came from a desire that during our breaks, when, when, when an EPT event goes on break, that maybe we could showcase during that 15, 20 minutes some archive hands, but with new commentary, like a retrospective look at old poker. Mm -hmm. So because we were preparing this as, as break content effectively for our EPT live streams, all of those shows had already when we pulled out all the media. It had all oh. been digitized, and it was all there ready and waiting with the commentary stripped off, just the kind of the, the main audio track. Oh, that's so fortuitous. Course, wow. <laughs> it was fortuitous. So it was actually relatively easy to kind of within a week say, right, we are going to start streaming, doing this as live streams. Let's, you know, pick a season, pick an event and do a daily live stream where we, and I didn't know whether it was going to work doing this kind of like as live commentary right. on old poker. But, you know, even though, being the nerd I am, I, I watched those shows back in the day. I couldn't remember any of them. I mean, when it came to like major EPTs, you know, I knew who the winner was going to be, but I didn't remember the outcome of hands. I didn't remember sure. what happened at certain final tables. So our reactions were genuine. And of course, that was a case of got to work from home. Can't, you know, can't use the basic studio facility we have at the London office. So, you know, I've got the, the room at the back of the house where I've got some bike stored and some coats with blankets over them i'll just have to use that space and so that's what people saw because that's where i was working and then you realize 
this is probably going to be an ongoing thing. And <laughs> I can't really justify long-term broadcasting from this unprofessional space. So that's when you have to kind of like, okay, let's, let's rework this. And let's put stuff into storage. Let's actually create a dedicated office slash studio space where I work from on a daily basis. And I'm talking to you from now, but, as far as day-to-day -day work is concerned, if it's hosting a stream, it's all good. You know, as I said, I'm, I'm lucky I've got the kit, I've got the lighting, I've got the headset, everything's good. And in terms of day-to-day -day work, I think what's interesting is, you know, PokerStars is an international company. It has offices all over the world. We've got people working out of the Isle of Man. We've got people working out of Malta. We've got people working out of Toronto, people working out of Leeds. So most of our meetings, most of our day-to-day -day work was already over conference calls. Uh -huh. So just instead of dialing into those calls from a desk in a London office, I'm dialing into them from my desk at my home. <laughs> um, I think I can't speak for everyone, but I know a lot of people who've actually adapted pretty easily and it's not impacted too much, too negatively on their ability to do their day-to-day -day job. And of course, you miss the social interaction, especially with what we do where we are a production team and you thrive on that teamwork and you thrive on being around the people that you work with. But, you know, it, it's overall, we've made a success of it and it has not been too detrimental. Obviously, what I would like is a situation where, and I don't know when that will be because I don't have a crystal ball, when we have that mix of right. doing the live streams covering our major online events, um, because I do think that Scoop and WCoop should be treated the same as a major EPT or a PSPC, but combined with our traditional live events coverage, which of course has not been on the agenda for 2020. You know, and when that can return, I don't know. I think that there's a lot of optimists out there who think that when we get to the 1st of January, 2021, you can just press this big reset button and everything's gonna be fine. <laughs> I tend to be more of a pessimist slash cynical realist. So I don't know when, but there of course will be a when. It's not an if, it is a when. And, you know, we're monitoring the situation all the time, market by market, and looking at World Health Organization guidance to understand when we can start running events again and when we can start streaming live poker alongside online poker. Sure, of course. And I, and I have to point, you know, of course, there's an event going on in Sochi right now. Like you said, it's market by market. It certainly yeah. is uh, dependent on all of those uh, factors and weighed appropriately. Um, I do think, though, that, you know, I think uh, across all sorts of industries and, and fields, we're all seeing that there are a few silver linings. You know, I'm sure it's nice for a lot of people not have to commute to an office, you know, save that roll out of bed, you know, get your cup of coffee and you're right there at work. So some sort of a mix where we can still get that social interaction um, certainly sounds good. But, you know, nice to, to be able to, yeah. to work from home when, when doing And I'm it. glad that you brought up the phrase silver linings, Robbie, because I mm. feel very guilty talking about any positive outcome of what's happened this year because make no mistake about it you know the events of 2020 have been horrible mm -hmm. and it's affected so many people adversely and yet i choose to focus on the positive things that have happened for me and others because mentally i think that's the best way to deal with it and the fact that we have been able to fast track a solution to do cards up coverage of poker the fact that we created the ept retro format the fact that you know, we've got some other stuff planned for the back end of the year that I can't go into detail about yet, but I'm pretty certain that by the time we get to the end of this year, I will have spent probably at least 90 days, which is a quarter of the year, staring into the lens of this Logitech webcam. Um, so, you know, and, and as I said, that is the part of my job I enjoy the most. It's hosting live streams, it's hosting live coverage. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's doing the, the podcast that Joe and I do together as well. And so that's the stuff which I kind of take away is the fact that we've been able to do more. We've, you know, been able to produce more content to give people that distraction, to give people the entertainment that they really need um, in a year which has just brought so much adversity to so many. Sure, and, and well-spoken, and I, you know, they, those words do resonate with me as well, and, and I think as well with the greater Cards Chat community, we're all about being a good, positive sort of place, and you know you can't ignore reality. But having poker to sort of fall back on, having all of these forms of entertainment, uh, has certainly been a, a bright light uh, amidst the darkness. Um, 
I have to ask though, James, I don't think you're Hindenbaugh. How's that for a completely not smooth segue? Um, <laughs> I learned from Joe. Um, we when um, uh, what was I say here? Um, I uh, I looked at your Hindenbaugh. I see six caches over the last decade. But don't worry, before you think I'm going to start needling, that's six more than I have. So I will say, obviously, <laughs> right? See, okay, don't just I'm going to swerve a little. So obviously, with all that you do, all of these staring into the camera, all the behind the scenes work, it's tough to find the time to sit and play in tournaments. A cash game here and there, sure, you can get up and whatever, but tournaments to dedicate that amount of time, I totally get it. And that is exactly the reason why I have no hand in my cash. So I'm just going to put that out there. Yeah, it's it's the the opportunities to play are few and far between. Certainly. Again, this is just this this is not meant to sound like a, a sick brag, uh, and it's also only an estimate. But I'm going to say that is probably six caches from ten events, credits of events. Played. There you go. Um, you know, Joe always likes to joke that I'm a min crusher, that I have, <laughs> that I can play a fifteen big blind stack like no one else on uh -huh. earth. Um, you know, I can squeeze into the money. Uh, you know, it, 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 anyway, and uh, the, the last time I got to play live was in Vegas at the end of last year. I mean, on, on the cusp, on the eve of everything that's happened, Ooh. went back to Vegas for the first time in seven years wow. um, and got to play in an event at Aria, which was such a lot of fun uh, and was able to chop it seven ways. Everyone loves a chop pot, right? <laughs> they do. Everyone, every, everyone, everyone loves a chop final table. Um, so that that kind of was my last experience playing live poker before before everything changed. Excellent. But to be honest with you, I, I, in a way, I kind of like the fact that it's few and far between because it's a treat. Yeah. And I love the fact that I still approach it with nothing but pure enthusiasm That's to wonderful. just sit there, have cards and chips at the table and talk to people yeah. and meet people um that's the experience that that i love back in the day in the bc era before children uh <laughs> i did have a regular home game which ran sometimes twice a month but that that died out about 10 years 10 or 11 years ago um but yeah so i know you're right i don't play that much these days but when i do get to play i probably have a, a decent success rate no wins there's no firsts down there but there's a couple of final tables and some solid min caches well 60 percent in the money uh, or, or thereabouts is a good way to answer well how much did you lose because you're not you're obviously doing, <laughs> you're obviously doing okay my question on that though so that's obviously on the live front so i'm wondering yeah. with all of this time you've spent at home perhaps have you been able to, to steal away a few moments and maybe you know crush those sit and goes or something like that online yeah, it's, um, again, do not play a lot of online poker either. Oh, um, okay. This is, and, and this is going to sound so corporate and it's not meant to be. And I, and, and I do apologize. I genuinely, you know, when, but back in 2005, when I first, is, first started working with, with, with PokerStars, um, I just loved playing on the site so much that I kind of played on stars at the expense of literally everywhere else to the point where, I don't like playing on other sites because they uh -huh. just don't have the familiarity. They don't have the software. They don't have the liquidity. They don't have the game types. Now, when I became a full-time employee of the company in 2014, I had to kind of have my license revoked, as it were. I had to kind of, of hand in my real money credentials. Yep. There is a caveat attached to that, which is understanding the work that I do it, uh, as a kind of almost as an ambassador if it is a free roll that we're running on the live stream, if it was any of the stuff we did around the podcast, our Platinum Pass League that we did a few years ago, that that's okay. In special circumstances, I am allowed to play real money poker, A, for promotional purposes, and B, with the money going to charity. I'm not allowed sure. to make any personal gain from it. But generally, 95% of my online poker activity is playing play money games on stars. Um which I know a lot of people say that's not proper poker, but personally, and again, this is going to sound like you're, people are going to want to punch me in the face after saying this. <laughs> I want to understand formats like Grand Tour. I want to understand formats like Spin and Go and Spin and Go Flash. With every new game type, with every new innovation, with everything that we bring in, whether, you know, for example, being able to toggle between big blinds and chip stack, I want to understand that and I want to know how it works because I do think it's important to be able to relate to players. And it's really, really hard 
when you're not allowed to actually play for real money on the site. Well, I know I know you well enough to know that, that you're not, uh, you know, just saying it, you know, in order to say it. You are certainly. But that's even worse, though. I think if I was just saying it, it would probably be better rather than kind of like revealing that that is my sad online poker existence. I don't know, but it certainly speaks to the professional of some, uh, professionalism of someone. You know, when you, just like when you go ahead and conduct an interview, you don't say, you know, how's the weather going today? You want to do your research. And, you know, if you're literally going to be staring into that camera and delivering entertaining and informative commentary, you do genuinely need to know what it is that you're talking about. So you need that familiarity uh, with the features, with, you know, how the online stuff works and, and more power to you. I know personally what it's like to have to surrender a media credential. I played in my first uh, WSLP bracelet event last year. And, you know, that's one of the rules is you're not allowed to have a media credential while you're playing. I didn't yeah. know that. So we made a little ceremony out of it. I don't know. Here, here's my little media credential. Um, so I understand that completely, but uh, certainly um, uh, you know, a respect uh, and, uh, and admire actually that, that sort of approach in professionalism. What is it beyond the wanting to do a good job, uh, you know, professionally speaking, but about the game itself, about the game of poker? What do you love about it? That's a really good question. Um, there's so much I love about it. I, I just... There's that, that again, there's, I, I keep quoting so many cliches during this conversation. The whole it's situational thing, right, is that no two hands of poker are the same. And any given situation is going to be different. And you don't, there are certain patterns you can expect. And of course, certain amount of, of, of kind of cut and dry uh, hands. But there will always be these unique situations that pop up and just kind of create genuine drama. And I think that really is at the heart of it. It's, it's a people game and it's the drama. It's, it's, that, that, it's the rivalry between players. It's the, the bold bluffs. It's the moments of, of, of elation. It's the confrontations. It's a, a well-played hand. It's a butchered hand. It's those stories that the individual players create through their individual play that maybe no one else would play a hand like. Um, and look, I think it's an incredibly interesting game. The fact that it's still evolving after all this time, right? And there are so many pros who say that if they don't study, if they mm. don't spend time really breaking down their hands and going over specific pots they've played, then they're going to get left behind and they're no right. longer going to be able to compete. That's the reality of where No Limit Hold'em is in the yeah. year 2020. Yeah. It's still evolving because it's such a complex game. Um, and... I think it's, you know, recently um, we lost one of the greatest poker ambassadors in Mike Sexton. And one of the lines that, that Mike used to use on those WPT TV shows is that No Limit Hold'em is the game that takes a minute to learn and a lifetime to master. And it's the perfect quote because you can teach anyone the basic rules, i.e. how the game works and the ranking of hands in a very short period of time. They can understand the basics, right, and the mechanics of how to play poker. But the strategies, no one has ever mastered that and maybe never will because it's still evolving and people are still learning all the time. And that's the beautiful thing about it. And then the characters and personalities that the game attracts uh, and the stories that you then get from those just add an extra dimension. And I think that's true. And I don't necessarily think that poker is a sport. I know it's a controversial subject. It's not. It's a game. Um, but the way in which it is covered, the way in which it's broadcast and live streamed does have a lot in common with sports broadcasting. And all of the best sports broadcasting is about characters, people and stories. And that, for me, will always be the biggest attraction of poker. We've uh, certainly touched upon something we'll be speaking about later, a little foreshadowing. So guys, keep on staying tuned to this uh, wonderful episode of Cards Chat. Uh, I have to say, you, know, you can see it perhaps in my, my face, my eyes. I don't know if everyone's just listening or if you're watching this uh, on YouTube. I feel like every single word you said, like the little guy inside me, like, yeah, yeah, you know, you're getting me fired up. That's what I personally love about the game. And I'm sure, again, uh, much of the audience out there sort of feels the same way. So yeah. certainly, uh, I, don't, I don't want to use the word uh, preaching to the fire, so to speak. But no, yeah, that is what it's all about. That's, that's what I love about the game. But it would be very, very easy after 15 years of doing this to have become jaded, right? Yeah. And I'm not at all. And I'm still shocked, entertained, 
flabbergasted, delighted by so much of the stuff I see. Um, and, you know, even situations which people might will say, well, you know, but as played at standard, well, to me, it was still outstanding. And I'm still going to celebrate that moment because I, I do think that the emotion uh, is important. And I, you know, I've, I've always said to myself that if I ever get to that point where I'm having to fake it, if I ever get to that point where I just don't care anymore, I should probably quit. But fortunately, I'm at a point where I still love the game. So, you know, the, 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 the passion and enthusiasm is not an affectation. It's genuine. Absolutely. That's great to hear and uh, certainly great for all of your fans uh, to keep on hearing. I'm sure they hear it each and every broadcast. Um, you mentioned uh, Texas Hold'em. we got to leave that on the side for a moment, James. I know that one of your favorite games, if not your favorite, is Seven Card Stud. Is that right? Um, I started playing Seven Card Stud before Hold'em. Um, okay. So I, my, first, my first journey into poker came via, bizarrely, James Bond. And the reason why I say bizarrely is because James Bond didn't play poker until 2006, and I started playing poker in 1992. <laughs> but uh, what, what happened is I kind of like was very, very kind of sucked in by the whole Bond lifestyle and the whole casino environment and the games that Bond played, which was predominantly Baccarat, but also in the most recent Bond film um, uh, but back then in the late 1980s, uh, Blackjack. So these are games that I wanted to learn how to play. These are games that, you know, I wanted to master. And then you realize, of course, that most casino games are, are, are sucker games and they can't be beaten. And so trying to play these card games with friends at school, um, you realize, well, whoever is the house, whoever's running the casino is going to win. This is no fun. And then, of course, you read up and, you know, this is, this is before the internet, Robbie. So luckily, my dad had a book called Gambling by a guy called Alan Wikes. And it had all these details about different gambling games. And I discovered this game called poker. Uh -huh. And of course, I realized that poker is a game played amongst players. So there is no house. You're not playing against, uh, against the, the, the casino. Sure. So this seemed like it was going to be more egalitarian. And, you know, maybe we could all, you know, win off each other rather than one person bleed the game dry. Um, but yes, it was seven card stud back then um and the game was never played fixed limit it was always played pot limit because fixed limit was never really a thing in europe certainly not when when i started playing and so pot limit stud was my game and i was probably terrible um but i was better than a lot of the people in that game so continued playing seven card stud throughout the 90s from time to time through university uh, on my postgrad course trying to introduce people to poker and of course they were familiar with five card draw because that's the one that you saw in the movies yeah. and i'm like that's a kid's game you want to be playing stud and then of course in 1999 came late night poker on british tv and that introduced me to texas hold'em which is a variation of seven card stud as jesse may would say at the start of every show so it was very easy to pick up and i'm like this is cool uh -huh. This works perfectly for TV, and this is a game that I could really get behind. So I kind of, a lot of my school friends, we got back together again, and we started running regular home games because we wanted to play the really cool game that they were playing on TV. And then, of course, a few years later, boom, um, Moneymaker, the WPT, the Snowball Effect, online. Um, and the last time that I probably played Stud, well, there's, there's two occasions. <laughs> wow, two things I'd actually forgotten about. Okay. Went to Vegas in the summer of 2005, and at the Mirage, they had a spread limit seven-card stud game. Wow. So you can bet anything between one and five dollars. Uh -huh. And I was the youngest person at that table by many <laughs> a decade. I know and what I didn't realize is that even though there was actually no rule about you know what the what you could open with they kind of had an unspoken agreement that you right. could only open with jacks or better. And I'm like, <laughs> have you guys heard of bluffing? It's kind of an essential component. <laughs> you know, big draws, you know, have you heard of that? And so after opening probably five or six hands in a row, when I clearly did not have jacks or better, got a talking down to from an old guy who said I was disrespecting the game. So oh, wow. I upset these old people and one side of my personality would be an argumentative prick who would get into a row with these people. But fortunately that day, the calm, cool head prevailed. And I was like, do you know what? Just leave these old people to their game. They were having such a fun time before you arrived and started taking all their money. So <laughs> I, 
I probably took what little I'd won from this spread limit stud game and then lost it to all the sharks at like, you know, the no limit hold'em table. But here's a weird one then. I'd forgotten about this. So I told you the story earlier on about EPT Deauville and yes. then doing stuff for stars in the spring. Something happened in between then. And it was the Hendon Mob Forum back in the day, which was one of the key places for poker information, not just the actual, you know, uh, results pages, right. but also had a very lively forum. And there was a TV producer advertising on there for a show that was being made for one of the two poker channels that had started called Barney's Home Games, where Barney right. Boatman of the Hendon Mob was going to go to people's home games and play. And I decided, hey, Barney, want to come to our home game? So in March, April of 2005, Barney Boatman came to my house, Amazing. played with me and my wife and a couple of our friends, <laughs> and we decided to do a mixed games session. And we played Omaha, we played Stud, we played Deuce to Seven Triple Draw, which at that point, Barney hadn't really played properly before and was intrigued oh. by because he knew it was going to be at the World Series that summer. So uh -huh. he was very keen to kind of get across it. Um, he ate us alive. And when I still, <laughs> when I see Barney on the circuit now, um, of course, I'll always remind him of the fact that before I became a poker commentator, before I started working in the industry, I'd taken part in this little TV show where <laughs> Barney had come to our house and played in our home game. So by reminding me of Seven Card Stud, you reminded me of Barney's home games. Amazing. I don't know whether that show exists anywhere. I'm pretty sure I have it on disc somewhere, uh -huh. but I'm not about to share it anytime soon. <laughs> that's, a, that's an amazing story. It's great. I'm happy I brought that little nugget up. Um, and I, you know, it's funny. I do, I do, I'm a huge personally uh, promoter of mixed games. And I got a couple questions for you about uh, mixed games. And of course you mentioned that uh, Hold'em is the made for TV poker variant. And obviously, yeah. you know, it constitutes the overwhelming majority of games that are both played and of course broadcast. I do wonder though, you are a broadcaster, you're a commentator. Would you personally be in favor of starting to broadcast some more mixed games via the Poker Stars platforms? Um, I think context is everything. So during WCOOP, for example, we absolutely acknowledged the fact that the World Championship of Online Poker is a proper poker championship that acknowledges all the different forms of the game and not just Hold'em right. and Omaha. But on, on the flip side of that, if you are spending a lot of money creating these big live streams to entertain people, mm -hmm. which are, I guess, the equivalent of TV, even though it's being streamed on YouTube and Twitch. I, let's be honest, the lines are blurred now, right? What constitutes TV and what's a, what's a content platform? This is um, TV, if you're watching it, guys. If you're listening, it's like... Yeah, I mean, that's, but, but, that, but that's, that's the reality, right? And, you know, sure. I, have, I have both the YouTube app and the Twitch app on my TV, so uh -huh. I often choose to watch live streams on my TV. So to huh. me, it's a TV broadcast. Right. But my, my view is that, you know, and, and again, I think we... we not taking a risk per se, we decided to throw in a little bit of PLO coverage alongside the Hold'em coverage. And we did three days of PLO, including the 10K main event during WCOOP. But you have to acknowledge that Hold'em is where the audience is. It's the simplest game to understand. And even with PLO, there were a few people who were a little bit thrown. But we had this amazing opportunity with WCOOP to combine the nightly live stream with a kind of um, afternoon stream which would be a cards up replay of one of the mixed games events that had taken place the day before. Be that five card stud, be that seven card stud, be that stud high low, be that the eight game, be that horse, be that deuce to seven single draw. It's a great opportunity for us to showcase those. And those streams were very popular. They had thousands of views, but understandably, I do think that you have to kind of have those as the kind of extra content alongside your bells and whistles mainstream hold'em coverage sure. which is going to always bring in um uh, the, the the biggest audience sure. and you know i always remember um i was very privileged to work with matt morantz and the team from 441 productions who mm -hmm. used to produce the world series of poker tv shows during the boom era mm -hmm. and i got to work with them on the world series live streams in the summer of 2010 i did the final table live stream that year the november 9 and 
I, I said to them, I, I remember that, you know, obviously Moneymaker was the boom year. Yeah. And then in 2004, you know, you guys literally did everything. He went, it was a nightmare. Because oh, suddenly they're having to do all of these games like Raz, which is a miserable game. And, you know, it was a one-year experiment. It was a one-year experiment because, and again, maybe, I don't know, maybe audience expectations, maybe the audience, the poker audience is more sophisticated now. Um, but certainly in 2004, 2005, it did not bring in the same audience numbers that ESPN was seeing with Hold'em. Sure. And it was, therefore, they never repeated it. When they introduced the Players' Championship, which was either horse or eight game, they did show that. And I think that's special because it's a 50K buy-in and you're showcasing, you know, the biggest and best names in the world. So that it has that attraction, but it's still a novelty. Right. Um, for the, I mean, we must never forget that the, the, the majority of people are casual players. They're casual fans. And I'm not saying for one second that we, we should patronize them, but you do for the biggest possible audience and to make... The, the, the content that's going to get the most number of eyeballs on it, you really do need to keep it simple and keep it holding. I do agree. I, I definitely a fair assessment. And uh, I think you started out your answer by saying context is everything. And I do think that that is uh, a, a wise uh, answer. Yeah. But I mean, like said, we do have we do have streamers, uh, you know, uh, poker stars who focus on mixed games. Yeah. And we had those guys, uh, whether it was uh, GJ Reggie and Mason Pye or Nick Walsh, who were doing those cards up replays during W Coop and showcasing those other games, explaining those games to viewers. That was very important. I don't want to see them ignored, but it was never going to be the focus of a seven hour live stream. Right. So that I can definitely understand. But I do think uh, you did point it out, you know, it's, that was, in a sense, you know, what the, those experiences you had, you had uh, mentioned, 2004, 2005, perhaps, you know, so much has been learned. You, know, you don't broadcast Hold'em now in 2020 the same way you did in, 20, uh, in 2004, 2005 either. Perhaps we have reached a point that we're seeing it on Poker Go, uh, the Dolly's game, Cash game, with all of these mixed games. That's one of the, the interesting and obviously um, competitive advantages that Poker Stars does have. As the online site, it's the only place where you can play the do the do seven triple draw. So, in a sense, it gives you that unique opportunity uh, to spread the word and spread the gospel Absolutely. about Absolutely. these games. If there was one game, let's say besides Holden, besides PLO, yeah. that you could sort of if you had the choice, like you know, it's James Hardigan's decision, what would it be? The one that you want to expose more people to? If I wanted to expose more people to it, probably would be stud. I'm not sure that's necessarily the best choice. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, six plus is a variation on Hold'em, right? Short mm -hmm. deck. Sure. So maybe that doesn't necessarily qualify. But again, it's it's a pretty easy sell to an audience. Um, I actually think that there would be a lot to be gained by looking back at what was produced in 2004, 2005, mm -hmm. and actually going back to that style of making poker programming because in my mind the those shows have never been matched and if you look at the coverage of the day ones of the world series main event from 04 05 06 07 those were the best poker shows ever made hands down because it treated the world series of poker for what it was a huge circus this coming together of pros amateurs people with a dream people with stories and the team that were making those tv shows were storytellers. They were documentary filmmakers. And of course, there's their poker shows. And you see hands of poker being played. And we remember some of the, the big hands played. You know, Spider-Man's mate going out on pretty much the very first hand that year where it was full <laughs> yes. house over full house. The poor guy losing with four aces to a royal flush. All of those poker moments happened. But it really focused on the characters and the personalities. And they are people you're only ever going to get to see if the cameras start rolling on day one. And that is what attracted people to the game. It's that mix of personalities. And it comes back to what we talked about earlier on, Robbie, about why yeah. I love the game. Yeah. It is because it is that melting pot. It's a game that anyone can play. Everyone is equal. It doesn't matter whether you're a celebrity. It doesn't matter whether you're just some random accountant who's won his local home game, which was a prize to play in this event in Las Vegas. You're all at the same table. You all have an equal chance of being dealt the best hand or of, or of winning the pot. Of course, there's that skill edge. But we know on any given day, in any given tournament, anyone can win. And those shows did the best 
job of selling poker as an amazing social activity that really, I think, helped fuel the poker boom along with the rise of, of online during that period. Sure, and you're not romanticizing it. I remember sitting glued to the TV and, you know, just, you know, wanting there to be more at all times as far as what I was watching. Yeah. Um, and of course, yeah. you mentioned the, the critical parts of poker broadcasting back then. Now, it is that storytelling, it's harnessing, finding these characters. Perhaps, though, as a longtime observer of the game, those who've been in it for 10, 15 years, we see those old days, all oh, of the characters, the characters. Where are they? Are they still there now, but maybe they're just playing in, in games that aren't televised, or are we not finding them? Are, are they not as colorful? But what perhaps has changed? Where are these characters now? In there are still, I think there are still characters. You've just, you know, you've just got to do a good job of finding them. And, you know, again, we come back to the fact that the approach to poker has changed over the years. I think a lot of people take a lot more of a mathematical approach to the game, game optimal theory. Uh, we talk about, you know, people really um, working on their game, etc. And, you know, but that doesn't mean that, there are, that these people don't have personalities. It doesn't mean that they're not human beings and it doesn't mean that they're not interesting. It is the job of the program makers. And, you know, this is what we try to do when we do make kind of, uh, you know, post-produced TV shows. And, you know, the, the PSPC was, was great for that because obviously you had all the stories of the Platinum Pass winners. But also we did get to meet a lot of the pros who turned up. And some of those were players who, you know, were big names and have been big names for many years, like Phil Helmuth. And then maybe there are some up-and-coming pros who aren't as well-known but are worth showcasing because they do have something about them they do have a personality they do have a story they do they are a character so no they are that they're still there um you know that 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 side of poker is is very much alive sure and you said that you know part of the job falls on the production team on the commentators to create those characters when, when we think back to those 15 years ago those 12 13 years ago you hear the voices of the commentators who are telling you the stories about these characters. You mentioned earlier that you've been very fortunate to have uh, folks such as Sam Grafton, such as Maria Ho, come in and be the guest commentators on some of your recent broadcasts. Besides, obviously, those who do it for a living, such as yourself, what is it that makes a good guest commentator? Um, I think... You know, what, what we're looking for is I'd, I'd like to think that Joe and I have got the basics handled, right? We, 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 can provide, we can provide the entertainment. We can do the nuts and bolts. What we're asking these guys to do is to come in and share their analysis, to share their, their thoughts on the game, but also their knowledge of the players. And I think that was something that we really noticed from the word go with Stadium Series as soon as Sam came in, as he knows all these guys because he plays against them. And he's therefore able to tell us stories and anecdotes and, you know, having won a WCOOP title himself during the most recent WCOOP, sure. talking about the fact that he played heads up against Steve O'Dwyer and had the deal box ticked the whole time and O'Dwyer didn't even acknowledge it. You know, it's, it's that experience that these are people who actually play at that level. So they bring authenticity. They bring credibility. They are able to break down the game in a way that shows they have a really strong knowledge and understanding but also can articulate it in a way that doesn't become dry, monotone, boring, or too elongated. I'm not saying it's soundbite analysis, but it's knowing when that moment is over and when to move on. But also, as I said, that realization, that understanding that what we're producing here is entertainment and to be part of the fun, be part of the overall broadcast, to join in the banter, as it were, and to keep it light. They are absolutely there to be the expert, but they also need to be part of the kind of overall broadcast experience as well. Well, there you go. To all of the uh, experts out there, expert poker players who are listening and say, how do I get myself on a poker star's guest spot? Well, there you go. Those, those are the rules. Get yourself ready to, to entertain, to inform, to keep it light. And perhaps you will be one of those mentioned, mentioned alongside uh, the wonderful folks we've already spoken about. Uh, James, you've already mentioned uh, Mr. Bond, and of course, no uh, conversation with you would be complete without some sort of a James Bond question. Before we move on to our 
segment where we bring you the community questions. The last question I have for you, and it also sort of relates to the characters. Would you say that there are any poker players out there today that you would liken in some way to James Bond? And do we need any sort of James Bond-like characters? Do we need more of them uh, in the game suiting up or, or something like that? No, James Bond's a dick. We don't want James Bonds in, 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 in poker. Slow rolling git who tips the dealer with a, uh, a no cash value tournament chip. Um, I, 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 I struggle to think of anyone who I think has that, uh, the Bondian air. I mean, of course, Tony Dunst uh, very much modeled himself on Bond back in the mid 2000s. And of course, that was his online handle, right? Yeah. He was Bond 007. And he always mm -hmm. kind of like, you know, tried to have that kind of suave, sophisticated look when he played a, a major live event. But no, I, I don't think there is. And I, I certainly don't think we need that type of person. The irony is, and, and especially if you go back to the novels, as I like to do, Bond is not a particularly likable person. He is, you know, he, I mean, first of all, you're dealing with someone who's a government assassin, right? Which means he's, Way pretty, to break it down. <laughs> he's pretty morally bankrupt. Uh -huh. He is an alcoholic. He, he is a drug addict. I think he's taking Benzedrine in most of the books to help him deal with whatever emotional trauma, because in the 1950s, I don't think they recognized PTSD. Um, he's a racist. He's a misogynist. Um, and still he has that charm. Still yes. he has that allure, but he's not a nice person. And I do think that the character is at its best, his best on screen when he does have that hard edge, Ooh. when he does have that kind of anti-hero vibe, which Ooh. they've done a really good job of with the Daniel Craig movies yes. and tried to do with the Timothy Dalton movies, but I don't think audiences were necessarily ready for it yet. And at its worst is when it's Roger Moore wading around in a safari suit, you know, at the age of 58, cracking one-liners and meeting Monsieur Aubergine for lunch at the top of the Eiffel Tower. That's, that's when, it's, when it's at its worst. I genuinely don't know where the franchise goes next. Okay. Um, I think there's a lot of people waiting, and they're going to have to wait even longer to find out what happens at the end of No Time to Die. Ooh. The producers revealed that they shot multiple endings, and I think that the initial view was that they would probably test their preferred ending to see what audiences thought and how audiences reacted. Well, that ain't going to happen. Right. So I'm really hoping that they take a risk. And when the film is finally released, that whatever ending they want to go with, whatever direction they want to take the franchise in, even if that involves major characters dying, I really hope they do it. Because I do think it needs a major, major refresh, a major reboot. Um, and I would be very happy for them to do something really dramatic now. Well, I have to say that was the one question that was probably like the one I was looking forward to most because I didn't know what direction you were going to take in it. So I certainly enjoyed uh, hearing your answer there. Uh, and now uh, we do move on to the portion of the show uh, where we turn to our Cards Chat community because we want to see what questions you guys out there had to ask our guests. And we had a wonderful community member, Shells, who submitted two great questions for you, James. Are you ready? I'm ready. There's no super fan versus James or anything like that. There's no <laughs> wrong answers so we can, uh, just curious to hear what you had to say here. Um, the first question from Shells is, throughout your broadcasting career, who is your favorite interview or interviewee? Whether it's poker or wow. not poker. That is a really good question. Favorite interview of all time. I mean, I, I'm very lucky in the in a previous life, I got to be on the entertainment circuit. Mm -hmm. And this would have been kind of late 1990s, early 2000s. My very first gig on the radio, by the way, was when I was still a student and I was a film critic. And I came back to that in the kind of around 2008. So I've done the kind of screening circuit. I've done film reviews, but I've also done the junkets when the, 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 the cast of a movie and the director will come to London, stay at a swanky hotel like the Dorchester, nice. and they will just do interview after interview after interview. And if you're lucky, you get them at the start of the day when right. they're still relatively with it. Or it, worst case scenario, you get the 6 p.m. slot, at which point <laughs> I think they'd much rather stick needles in their eyes than actually have to face <laughs> questions. Um, and there are so many, so many standout interviews from that time. I think one of my favorite days of, of, of my career was when the original X-Men movie was released back in 2000. And I did the junket for that. 
um, cool. and I got to meet most of the cast of X-Men, including Patrick Stewart, uh, Rebecca Romaine, Halle Berry, Anna Paquin. That was a phenomenal day. Wow. Um, and I think, you know, again, there's that cliche about never wanting to meet your heroes. One of my top five movies of all time is One Flow of the Cuckoo's Nest. Uh -huh. And before he died, I was very privileged to meet and interview Milos Forman, the Czech director wow. who made that film, in addition to Amadeus and Man on the Moon. And I got him to sign my One Flow of the Cuckoo's Nest and Amadeus DVDs, which sit proudly on my shelf. Um, so I appreciate that one for a little bit more highbrow, but I was always, as a film nerd, much more thrilled to meet the directors than necessarily the stars because I, I, I don't subscribe to the auteur theory, but I do kind of concede that even though a film is a team effort, the director probably has the most authorship, especially if it's a director who's also written the screenplay and steered the film through its entire post-production process. So to meet people like Steven Soderbergh, for example, um, was, was an absolute thrill for me. I'll tell you, what, I'll, I'll tell you, I know this is kind of not answering the question because- No, you answered, those, but it's very, very eye-opening. All of those, no all of those people will be on the list of favorite interviews. I'll tell you the <laughs> worst interview I ever did. Fair um, enough. And this was when I was working in commercial music radio in the late 1990s. And growing up in the UK as a teenage boy in the late 1980s, I had the world's biggest crush on Kylie Minogue. Still do. <laughs> and okay. in 1999, 2000, Kylie had the big comeback when she released Spinning Around. And then a year later, Can't Get You Out of My Head. And I got to interview Kylie Minogue um, when she came into the Heart Studios. And it was the most pathetic, fawning, giggly, unusable interview I've ever conducted because I literally was in awe of this oh, woman wow. and just sat there going, you're Kylie and you're great and I love you. <laughs> um, so my, one of my favorite people to meet, but one of my worst interviews. That's an incredible answer, James. That's amazing. Um, and I, I'm, I wish I had more questions to get these amazing nuggets out of you. We only have one final question here from Shell as well. Um, with all of the poker tournaments that you have called, which is the most memorable to you? Um, it's going to sound like such a cliche if I bring up the Vicky Corrin win in San Remo, but it was, it's really hard to explain now how big a thing the whole two-time curse was mm. in like 2013, 2014. And it was so weird that in season one of the EPT, as we know, because we just streamed it earlier this year on EPT Retro, right. you know, we had like numerous near misses. Ram Vaswani had a first and a second. Brandon Schaefer had a first and a second. Alex Stevich had a third uh, as well that season. I mean, we nearly had two, a two-time winner in the very first season. And you look at all the other kind of major live events. Of course, there are multiple bracelet winners in the World Series. Of course, there are multiple WPT champions. Mm -hmm. But why had the EPT never had a two-time champion? And 10 years on from its inception, we're still in this position. And, you know, I guess it also was someone who no one expected it to be and that's not to take anything away from vicky but people would often bring up the names of the kind of the real online crushers or the guys who you know were really at the top of their game and were prolific as well because they were turning up to every single event sure. vicky didn't play that much she had a very successful tv career she just got married so she wasn't really playing that much and she randomly turns up in san remo because it's just before monte carlo which is her favorite event and she goes and wins it and becomes the first two-time winner. It was just a phenomenal moment because it ended this 10-year narrative, which we'd really ramped up in the last kind of two years of it. And also, it's someone who everyone loved. No, you know, it, was, it was the perfect person to do it. Um, someone who had mainstream profile, someone who was at that point in time on the PokerStars books. They were the, you know, Vicky was the first female winner of an EPT and then became the first two-time winner. Um, it just ticked so many boxes. It was just a marvelous moment, and I couldn't have been happier for her. I love it. And Jay, speaking of couldn't have been happier, I couldn't have been happier to spend this last hour speaking with you because you don't just give those little answers. You give, you, you've told the stories 
through your answers. And I absolutely love it. It's been a, an exceptional pleasure to be speaking with you. Um, and I do just want to wrap it up and say that uh, you know, thank you very much to everyone, uh, the shells especially, who sent in questions for James Hardigan. And just a little reminder to everyone out there in the Cards Chat community, we would love to see you submit your questions for future podcast guests. There's a dedicated thread for it on the forum, so be sure to send them in. Um, and of course, be sure to give us a good review on iTunes and spread the word via your social media channels if you like the show. So, James, thank you again very, very much. Sincerely appreciate Not at all. I hope, you taking I hope it wasn't time. too rambly, Robbie. Not at all. I certainly enjoyed every <laughs> moment of it. And I might even listen to it again. It was just so wonderful. Um, and thank you all, everyone out there in Cards Chat land, for tuning in to another episode of the Cards Chat Podcast. I'm Robbie Struzinski. You can find me on Twitter at CardPlayerLife. And I hope you guys all have a wonderful day. Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community.